you could just Photoshop out me yawning, right? Hello and welcome to Money for Old Rope, a podcast ostensibly about idioms. This week hosted by three of your favourite people, Deborah, Sam and Adam. Deborah, what's your idiom? Um, make hay while the sun shines. Nice long one, Sam, what's your idiom? <laughs> Full Monty. Full Monty. Mine this week is Hobson's Choice. You're picking some made-up ones recently. <laughs> Hobson's Choice. He's have you going all heard? out. Have you never heard Hobson's Choice? No. I've Deborah? heard of it. I don't know what it is. You know what it means? Can you, can you, all right, let's start with mine then. Can you hazard a guess as to what Hobson's Choice means? Isn't it like an impossible choice or something like that? It's not like Sophie's Choice. Yeah, like That's Sophie's Choice, but like, <laughs> I go Hobbs. <laughs> <laughs> no, Hobson, no. You must um, choose. It's, it's effectively Hobson's choice these days is uh, take it or leave it sort of choice so you either get the option of something mm. or nothing so it's, it's kind of a fake choice because it's more like you can take the thing or you can just leave it And um, <laughs> so one example of a Hobson's choice which I wrote down and then it took me a minute to realise I had one example of a Hobson's choice might be I might say before we begin recording that you can have water or go thirsty and that's a Hobson's choice you can have something or not a bit it's almost like do you want water versus you can have water or you can not have water it's basically a long winded way of asking a question um, in more modern times, we tend to use it in the sense of having an illusion of choice. Um, so you could say first past the post is Hobson's choice as you're, phys- as you're physically voting for something, but it doesn't matter. Also, I've started a politics podcast that people should subscribe to. <laughs> in an attempt to keep it out of this podcast, which is obviously fake. Yeah, which I've instantly felt like. Um, yeah, but that would be an example of a Hobson's choice because in the ballot box, if you're not voting for someone, in your, say you're in a Labour strong seat and you vote conservative or liberal democrat hobson's choice because it doesn't matter which way you vote the labor candidate is going to win and your vote doesn't count so that mm. might be an example of a hobson's choice when would you ever say it though would you would you be like well that's a hobson's choice like, <laughs> would you like water or no water whoa that's a hobson's choice it well roll off the tongue quite does it so i got this from my great uncle's memoirs interestingly okay. when he mm. used it um another some... podcast from the Adam <laughs> <laughs> Another podcast that if I ever get around to transcribing it, will, I will put up at some point. But yeah. yeah, I got it from there because he just used it. I think he just used it because he quite likes the uh, Hobson's Choice is quite a nice literary thing. He tends to find it pops up in Yeah, maybe you find it written down more than yeah, I think so. spoken aloud. Um, hmm. Do you have any idea what the origin is, given that neither of you had really heard of it and didn't know what it meant? Uh, a philosopher called Hobson. A philosopher called Hobson. Yep. Oh, interesting. interesting. I think it's that. Of what era? Yeah, give me, the great philosophers give me an age. Was Plato, can, Aristotle, yeah, Hobson. Post-Greek philosopher. Really. <laughs> Post-Greek. So, like. um, so I reckon early 1900s. Early 1900s philosopher called Hobson? Yep. Cool. Okay. Did he say, Did he? was he just really arrogant and he named something after himself or did somebody yep. name it after them? No, he did. All philosophers are arrogant. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you have to, it's kind of a prerequisite, right? What, being... You have to write down your thoughts and... Defend them. Yeah. And sell them to people as the only true way of thinking about this new thing that everyone's already thought about. I mean, that's an interesting way of looking at it. I don't think I'd really classify every single... You know? No, I don't think I'd classify every I'm philosopher to defend it as... Now. <laughs> <laughs> I've never thought of it before. But... <laughs> now, now it's the only way I will feel about it forever. <laughs> philosophers, aren't, philosophers aren't doing the out of self-interest, though, are they? Most well, Plato do... did... Oh, was it Aristotle? One of them proposed the ideal society. Plato's Republic, that's the one, it's Plato. And um, it was the different tiers of men, and at the top were the philosopher kings. <laughs> okay. So maybe he had a slightly inflated sense of self. Maybe Plato's, the, <laughs> maybe Plato's the exception that proves the rule. No, I don't think so. No. 
I think to spend that amount of time just considering stuff mm. and, and like, really? just like sitting in a chair and really thinking about it and then just deciding that that's how it works, even though you don't really have any proof one way or the other. I think well, your proofs are all sort of tautological. Yeah, exactly. Your proofs are proven by other things that people have proven in the past rather than there being any sort of evidence-based well, stuff. Yeah, yeah, but they're still not defending themselves. They're not saying that I'm so great, I've had these thoughts. They tend to do it for the betterment of society. You can argue that Orwell was a philosopher. because well, you know, people think they're doing it for everybody else's good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like my argument's breaking down. <laughs> I like the idea that, you, that Orwell is a philosopher. But I don't think it's true. I don't know. I'd say he was quite philosophical. In I think a lot he of his had socialists. a philosophy, but I don't think he was a philosopher. Well, what does it say to be a philosopher? Because he was a socialist that wrote down a lot a of his social writings. He doesn't writings. take action upon the things that they've decided. Well, he didn't. He wrote a lot of essays on socialism, but he wasn't. He never ran for parliament. He never tried to. No, change he did the go to war. He and fought in that war. He also wrote books to try and sway people and travelled the world. In, well, not world, but you know. Yeah, but surely writing no areas in order to do that. Surely writing his books to try and sway people was just another form of philosophical publication. Philosophic, phil, philosophical publication. Get the word out in you. I don't know. It depends. Because like some of the writing that you read, it feels the writing that you read specifically feels like he's trying to. He's trying to demonstrate the way that he's felt about things he's witnessed, rather than. Um, decided that this is the way society should work and therefore this is what what i'm writing mm. much like philosophy i don't think it has a proper answer well yeah exactly it's a very philosophical question deborah <laughs> yes where do you think hobson's choice came from uh i think it's a guy called chris hobson who wrote a novel in the 1930s which had this thing in it chris hobson's a very specific name for you to <laughs> it is really isn't it mm. but it was the first name that came to mind surprisingly yeah, yeah. Cool, awesome. Um, 1930s versus early 1900s. Yeah. So I've got three potential origins for you. Oh, good. Back on form. Uh, the first potential origin. The biscuit hobnob used to be called Hobson's, and a common jape when eating them amongst friends was to offer up the lid of the packaging once unwrapped and asking if the other person wanted whatever was inside. This was either empty or had one or two t- biscuits that had got stuck in the top of the biscuit wrappers. And that was a Hobson's choice because no, it could be empty not that one. or it could be populated with two, <laughs> not that guy. two biscuits. Another, I like the fact that you use the word jaunt, though. So. Jape. Jape. Jape was better. Jape was what just came into my head. Quite tired. It's fine. Another potential origin that's not um, hob- uh, Hobson's Hobdops is <laughs> Dorcas Hobson was a playwright in Shakespeare- Shakespeare's time who frequently tried to get his own plays shown at the Globe, uh, which Shakespeare often rejected, only showing two of his plays a total of four times. Frustrated, Hobson began to display his plays in the streets outside the Globe, tempting theatregoers to watch his own performances instead of those within. It didn't work. He was not seen as very good, and as a result, he died in poverty. There's always a Shakespearean one in these when you do it. Yeah. I think that's more because Shakespeare's very... It, moving on. Um, the third potential origin... He's <laughs> giving it away. <laughs> the third potential origin. Supposed to have come from Thomas Hobson, who died in 1631. So, a of, what, 300 years before Deborah thought. He was a livery stable owner in Cambridge, who offered customers the horse in the stall by the door, or none of the horses at all. He was said to have up to 40 horses in his stables, but never wanted the best to be picked out and overworked, so would give the offer of one or none. It's that guy. Thomas the Horseman. So Deborah's gone with Thomas, Thomas Hobson. Yeah. Sam, what are you going with? Um, Is it Hobnobs? B, it's not, I don't think it's the Hobnobs. <laughs> no, that's okay. So you're going with... It's a long shot, sadly. You're, yeah. you're going with the playwright Dorcas Hobson. 
Okay. Yeah. Um, so it was actually Thomas Hobson. He was a, Thomas the Horseman. Thomas the Horseman. He was nice. a livery stable owner in 1631. And he was known to be not a bit of a miser, but a bit strict with the horses that he could take out of the stables. So the theory was that he didn't want the best of all the horses getting taken. Uh, it was effectively renting as a livery stable. Um, didn't want that getting worn out and then leave a load of subpar horses in the stables. So he'd, he'd probably just rotate them and put one that he wanted to actually go out near the door. So you always put the one near the door or none of them. And that was the option. Mm. Yeah, I, I thought it was quite interesting that that was the origin of Hobson's choice. It's given very it. specific. It's never that specific normally. He's one bloke running a shop in the 1600s. Yeah, yeah, it's really strange. Yeah, and who wrote about it? Um, Do we know? I've got some tidbits which I will work through because I found them quite interesting. But he was made famous by the mid-17th century poet John Milton, who wrote mock epitaphs about the man, and specifically about Hobson. I don't know why, maybe he just had it in for him. Uh, one of them was... It's pretty hard. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna write many epitaphs about you. One of the uh, one of them was here lieth one who did most truly prove that he could never die when he could move, which is a take on Hobson's choice because you can't die if you can move. Mm. It's not very witty, but that's his most famous one. It's the sort of thing that just makes me go, huh? Oh. <laughs> his former coaching inn is today called the Cambridge Brew House. It still exists. Mm. So you can go and visit, as with most of these inns that are over 500 years old, they've got a lot of history around them. So it's mm-hmm. definitely a person rather than like a fictional person. Oh yeah, he did actually exist. Interestingly, his, his sort of biography seems to centre around the fact that he's the origin of the phrase Hobson's Choice and not a right lot else. Right. <laughs> Unfortunately, he's just not that interesting beyond his idiom. Um, the first written usage is in The Rustic's Alarm to the Rabbies. Rabbies? No, Rabies. Can't read. <laughs> the Rustic's Alarm to the Rabies. Uh, Samuel Fisher, 1660. If in this case there be no other, as the proverb is, then Hobson's choice, which is, choose whether you will have this or none. And that's 1660, and it was mm. about so about 30 years after mm. after Hobson. Henry Ford is supposed to have said, customers of the Model T can have a car in any colour as long as it was black. Yep. A very famous saying, despite the fact the Model T came in a few colours, um, which kind of nullifies the, the saying, but it's quite nice to imagine. It's variously been a play, initially written by Harold Bridge House in sixteen in 1915 and then a film several times which yeah is just one of those things that sparked as in the names very popular so it gets used in popular culture quite a lot mm. as with a lot of idioms people seem unimaginative and they just name things after idioms when they when they need to um, but yeah Hobson I mean, he was him the engram's really wobbly as well I didn't really think it was worth adding it because it's very very spiky I think all the films and plays and things that got produced yeah. spoiled it because well not spoiled it but show when they were released and you get yeah. that sort of information about it but yeah no you're right Sam I found it quite interesting that it was just hard origin this guy was Thomas Hobson kept horses bit of a miser and he was very controlling of his funds and that's mm. where we get Hobson's choice from mm-hmm. because he would only ever, ever let you have one horse it was cool. Oh. I was quite satisfied with it because, you know, yeah. idioms that we... It's quite nice because it's got, like, a very solid origin. Yeah, idioms that we don't... That it doesn't, like, it's vaguely biblical. The, yeah. the vaguely biblical ones get a bit tiresome after a while. Yeah. That one, quite young as well. I mean, 1630s is, is relatively young in the grand scheme of things. When we've had much older ones. Mm. Deborah. Yes. What was your idiom? I feel we should make some hay while the sun shines. Because the sun has sh- shone for so flipping long. Yeah. And everyone's still surprised every day. <laughs> I wake up and I'm, it's still nice. Yeah. I don't really understand what to do anymore. If we're not clothes dodgy. to wear, like sun clothes, I don't know how to dress for work anymore. 
It's in, like I've got a new job and it's warm in there. Are, are your and I have no clothes at work. Jean and t- not jeans and a t-shirt. Still no, I, jeans I still don't. Yeah. Still don't work in tech, so <laughs> no, I don't get to wear jeans and a t-shirt. Also, don't want to wear jeans and a t-shirt to work. Like, mm. I get the concept, but I don't want to wear the same clothes to work that I wear at home. That's I'd rather that. have clothes that I get that I just wear to work and then I just abandon. You change when you get home. No. No. Okay. No, just like. <laughs> I only work three days a week. Like, yeah, true, yeah. I'd rather have those three days be clothes where I felt really like smart. Right. Also, like, there's a lot of like in the job I've got now. Basically, Meeting people. Main person in a building mm. that I'm going to be talking to people in. So, women feels have, different. Women have a lot more options for being smart, though. I mean, if you're a man. Yeah, I don't have to wear a suit in order to be smart. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And I can be comfortable too. Mm. Whereas we've got literally a suit and a waistcoat if you're feeling a bit fancy. <laughs> or just even just like a shirt and tie, like. Yeah, those are your three things. Ties are definitely overdone. I don't think they make you look too smart I anymore. Think, they make I think you they're look, on the way out. Yeah, I really think ties they're on are the on the way out. out. I think so. You heard it here. As as a fashion item, um, not even just fashion, in general, just like, no one's going to wear a tie. It's looking again. a bit stuffy. Mm. Like it wouldn't reflect well if I turned up to an interview in a tie. Really? Yeah, that's weird. So it doesn't look great when I turn up in a shirt. To be fair, like they'd rather I turned up like this. It's usually because of the people interviewing on the other side I of the table. I think it really depends on the, on the area you work in. Yeah, it does. It but does like, right. Yeah, but that's mad. I don't know. I think because the other person is usually wearing jeans and a t-shirt as well, it does look a bit odd when you're the only person there in a suit. I still like usually it. wear jeans and a shirt, like a proper shirt. shirt. Yeah. But, but again, one of the virtues of being in tech. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely a different world. Mm. Like, you couldn't do that at a bank. So is, <laughs> I just wear jeans and t-shirts. So anyway, is make is off topic. hay while the sun shines. Yes. Do something now, not put it off, get it out of the way. Yes, yeah, like the good. This is the good period to do things, so you may as well just do a load of it whilst you've got the opportunity to do it. Yeah, it's like uh, while the good times roll, right? I can't say I've heard it, but it's a very long-winded one as well. Yeah, it is. But you have to, you think, have to actively build up to it. Yeah, uh, I use it a fair bit, like. I've got overtime on the table at the moment, so I may as well just work 12-hour days whilst I can and bill the overtime. Make the hay while the sun shines. Like, you or do ask. you just say, make hay? So I say, I keep saying, like, I'll make hay while the sun shines. Yeah, no, I say mm. the full thing. I think it's still yeah. pretty much in use. Like, it's been in songs and stuff. and I've heard it. It's not one of these ones where I've got... Yeah, like, like, what is this thing? Yeah, yeah. It's, definitely, it's definitely one I've come across, but I wouldn't... I don't think I'd use it myself. At least yeah. I don't think I've, I've... Maybe I've heard you say it, maybe that's where I've heard it maybe. used more mm-hmm. commonly. I feel like every time we're in this, though, Sam goes, I think I use that. <laughs> so I just imagine that Sam's actual language is 90% proverb now. When we, when <laughs> Everything we, I say. When we started this podcast, I genuinely thought like, oh, I can think of 10, maybe, mm. that we'll get a few episodes out of. And then I'm constantly writing down four or five a week. That you think of. Just that I think of in passing and go, well, we've not done that. And it's not on my list already, That's so I'll just stick it on the bottom. Really stumped when I don't write them down, though. I, I usually do. Yeah, but then I come to it and I don't have any in my list. I'm like, <laughs> just gotta I don't there ever. Gonna I'm either not paying attention enough to my own language, but I think I've said before, like I don't ever know. I never notice myself using them. So whether I don't use them at all or whether I'm just don't notice it happening while I'm. Ah, uh, it's always someone else doing it that I notice it. Yeah, exactly. Because I've done all the ones I use pretty much. Tess you done you that suddenly switch into the conversation. You suddenly go, ah, yeah, Tess will go, write that down. Out. That's the thing you said. <laughs> Whereas otherwise, I'll just go like. A topic will come into my head. So today I was thinking about summer because it's all everyone's talking about was the fact that it's still summer and it's freaking everyone out. And I was like, it was about summer. And this we, came up. Yeah, we do not deal well with the summer. Um, make hay while the sun shines. Yes. So there's a very obvious, or, or obvious origin of it, which is that 
you make hay when it's nice weather because yep. it involves a lot of um, this is me showing my inner city. So how parents. much farmer knowledge do you have? How much farmer knowledge? Why would you make hay while the sun shone? Um, I'd imagine because you have to make it into bales of hay because it has to be stored outside for reasons I'm not sure about. Why would you have to do that in a short period of time though? Because if it rains, I'd imagine it ruins the hay bales because you never see hay bales in rain. It's all about the rain, basically. Mm. It's like the sun is shining, so do it now because the rain could come at any moment. And there's a very finite window in yeah. which you can make the hay and the farmers are all very superstitious about when the best hay arrives and it's usually down to like you know a very particular almost like down to the hour kind of yeah. like I found superstitious and then they just yes oh yeah really <laughs> oh yes that seems well, like it's basically more. like a lot of it is kind of they didn't have any weather prediction systems or anything like that so that they a lot of the things like red sky at night and stuff they took real they took a lot in from that because they didn't have any other way of knowing whether the weather would be good. That's a really weird things. one that's persisted as well because it doesn't bear any relation to what actually happens. No, but people love it because they're like, oh, it's a red sky. Yep. It's the only time it ever comes up. If we ever stop having red skies, we'll stop talking about it. Yep. Um, but yeah, I think um, I, they, I just, they put a lot more faith into stuff like superstition because they didn't have... And even now, like we, we have a weather system, but it's not always that predictable i don't know why i just took them for being quite a practical people and didn't think that they'd have time for superstition you can have practicality and superstition yeah it's, it's basically it the entire the entirety of like the victorian era backwards yeah, <laughs> yeah. well yeah interesting one mm-hmm. um but yeah no i, I but when very very literal when um, would it have become make hay while the sun shines i'm gonna go with one of these things that was picked up by the 1720s newspapers. So I'm, I'm going to go 1910, 1910-ish. So you reckon it existed before then, but then it's like newspapers started to use that yeah, phrase. Yeah, I think it propagated it massively because it's quite a nice thing that they can just put in the title of a newspaper, or that they can talk about if they're talking about you know harvest. Yeah, which was very important and is still very important. We get those ones sometimes where it's clear that people were saying it for a long time before then, but yeah. actually they had no way of. Which is it. usually when the first written reference is as the saying goes, or yeah. so it's almost the like it's become such public knowledge that it doesn't even need to be written down anymore. So people feel silly even saying it, like yeah. you know, that thing that everyone says. Uh, Sam, what do you think? I said 1720s, so I stand by. <laughs> yeah, just 1720s, yep. no other knowledge. Yep. Great, I think. Yeah, okay, so in an almanac, in an almanac, <laughs> 1720s almanac of proverbs. Um, not actually that far off. Uh, John Haywood uh, wrote, this is quite a long title, a dialogue containing the number in effect of all the proverbs in the English tongue, 1546, um, which is literally a proverb, a book of proverbs. I feel like we've had that before. We must have had it before because it is a book of proverbs. Yeah. Um, so we must have encountered it at some point, yeah. uh, which is 1546. And it says, when the sinners make hay, which it is to say, take time when... One tameth cometh, lest timeth stealeth away. Uh, which basically is just where the sun shines, make hay. Otherwise, prefer, you'll run out of time. I prefer Deborah's old English accent to my own. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I used to be better at it. I've kind of lost the, the ability practice, to, yeah. basically. I just used to be able to do it quite a lot. That's a lot more long-winded than the modern version. Or well, not a lot yeah. more, but it's, it's, it's got more. Well, it's basically the, the actual proverb is when the sun shineth, make hay. It's just that then it has like... A description afterwards which is like which is to say this 
definitely go, get looked at funny if you start going around saying it like yeah, that. Yeah, I really should though, shouldn't I? It would be great. <laughs> or just um, correct people in that really smug way that some people do. Yeah. So the, there's also kind of like, it also comes up in the Bible, which, you know, everything comes up in the Bible. But um, it's basically just, he that gathereth in summer is a wise son, but he that sleepeth in harvest is a son that causes shame. So it's not like it's the proverb, it's just like... Shaming the second Yeah, it's basically like, these are the rules about what you do when you farm. Don't do that. Um, So it's kind of like, you could link the two, but there's no evidence to say that one follows from the other. This was in Tudor times. I mean, it's pretty obvious that in medieval times they would have either had a saying like this, or they would have known that information. Yeah. Because otherwise, you know, they wouldn't have had it. But I think in... Mediev- the difference between medieval farming and Tudor farming being that it was all very small land holdings. Mm. So actually you didn't have to have a lot of time to do the hay baling. You didn't need a lot of time because you only had a very small amount of land that was yours. But then you also got drafted in to do like the, the larger bits. The yeah, that's true, actually. We've got a fair few proverbs and that sort of that sort of ilk though. I mean, without going into the detail of them potentially brewing a future episode, we got like strike while the iron's hot and you have those sort of yeah, there's a few of those that I've kind of written down, but I won't mention them. Yeah, the, the immediacy urgency thing, there's quite a lot of yeah. proverbs slash idioms of them. So what was the actual what was the actual date that you said? 15... 1546. So, yeah, so Tudor farmers would have taken several days to cut dry and gather their hay and would have had only folk rhyme, rhymes like Red Sky at Night to guide them. So it's stuff like this that would actually... <laughs> Just got a mental image of a lot of farmers walking around the field looking at this guy going, Red Sky at Night. Red Night, Red Sky at Night. It's time, time again tomorrow. See you then. Um, it also came up in Very 1673 as one of the first times that people used it like as an idiom to describe something else. Uh, okay. So in 1546, it was basically just... Farmers. Farmers. Um, in 1673... It was used figuratively by Richard Head's glossary of the language of thieves and beggars. Uh, she was resolved to make hay while the sun shined. Hmm. So basically like using it in, as an idiom, which came almost as, like basically a century later. At what point does, uh, what's, the, what's, the word, what's the word for a literary device where you compare something um, to something that's not really related, but it gets metaphor? the message across? Metaphor. At what point does a metaphor stop being a metaphor and start being an idiom? In that sense, because you get a lot of that as well. Like, I'd say that's a metaphor more than anything else. Does it ever stop being a metaphor? Yeah. I think it can, can you be not both. be both? Yeah. Yeah, I suppose. It's just a saying. Yeah. yeah it's, but, all just, it's all just phrases, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but then we get into that annoying space of like idiomatic proverb and those sorts of um, mm. weird definitions. It can be both. And that's why we've not engaged with that argument. <laughs> so far because we get a lot of angry etymologists writing in going actually this is not an idiom yeah probably to be fair we've had some very dubious claims of what isn't isn't an idiom on yep. the show yeah <laughs> I think Dibs was probably pushing it slightly a little bit <laughs> satisfying though what um, if that's I don't suppose you checked how common it was used these days um, well it's sort of all the ones we were talking about like start while the iron's hot and stuff like that so there's just because there's such an array of them, you yeah. tend to find. Yeah, there's quite a lot of kind of speed-based ones. I wonder if it's more. I wonder if it's one of these ones that's more centralised towards the countryside. Like, would you hear that particular version of the phrase more in the countryside, whereas you might hear "strike while the iron's hot" more in the in the city or something like I that? I don't know. That'd I be- mean, if it was Tudor times, then most of those people would have then moved into the cities. But whether that then would have been concentrated in the countryside now, I don't know. 
I find that very interesting in the United Kingdom, especially Great Britain, especially because we've got such a small island, and yet we have such weird dialects and changes between even just like Geordies and the Scottish. You get really weird dialect changes over such a short distance that it's because we developed in very segregated sort of separate thing. There was no we intermingling. We didn't all come from somewhere else and then spread out like they were. We've been here for ages and just sort of like made little clans yeah. that usually fought with each other. Hmm. I wonder and if there's more like different influences from like like Liverpool from across the water and mm. like and Chinese those places from... that were invaded like they they didn't invade the entirety of Great Britain yeah, they only they invaded sort of... certain sections of it like when the Britons were all forced into Wales and then obviously we just get a load of intermingling after that and we're effectively hind towns anyway in this country so what does it really matter but I found the dialect thing interesting Do you see, yeah what what's hind towns is it like a it's another made up thing. <laughs> tin of beans tune in next week <laughs> no I heard Heinz sound before. no oh, interesting okay cool um, cool I might mm. bring that next week <sighs> you're laughing you're looking at me like I'm mad I'm not mad <laughs> it's just but only one of those it, things that your mum made up to entertain you when you were younger or something <laughs> and you can get those facts and quite possibly but I can still bring that as a video pointless man. things <laughs> anything else uh, no that's pretty much it yeah nice yeah. I like it Kind of an obvious one, but really, really good for. It's nice because it's, it's got persisted. some very solid origins as mm. well, um, which is always fun. And also, the difference between the actual phrase in itself and it becoming used as an idiom as well, mm. which is interesting as well. Sam, what was your idiom? Remind us. Uh, the full Monty. Fine. I've forgotten the name of the actor. I kind of wish Terence was. Uh, I hope he's Robert Carlyle. Robert Carlyle. That's one great actor. He was in Stargate. <laughs> I've never done that before in my life. He was in Stargate Universe as well. Yeah. He played um, uh, Rush. Yeah. Is it Rush in Stargate I hated Universe? that so much. Stargate Universe. Atrocious. Burning passion. Just so bad. All right, we're going to have 10 minutes on Stargate so, Universe. Okay. Season one. Season one, episode one and two had promise. Like, they were they yeah. were interesting. They had something that they got. Like, it was going somewhere. Yeah, and then it was just one long bottle episode spread over an it entire It was just like, oh seasons. no, we have run out of sand. Now we will go to the planet of sand. It is just sand. We have got the sand. Now we will go to the next planet. Oh no, we have run out of water. Here, this planet has water. Let's go to that planet. It's so dull. And they had to artificially it's invent so enemies because they were jumping between like solar system, solar system, galaxy, galaxy. It was basically, you couldn't have like the, the Gwauld or the, um, mm-hmm. the, what are they called? Wraith? Not Wraith. The ones in the second. In Atlantis. Oh, what are they called? They're really weird villains. <laughs> But I, you, you they, I think they are the Wraith, aren't they? You couldn't have that, possibly. I'll look it up. You couldn't have that because it was all travelling across the universe to get to the centre of the universe where there was this mysterious thing that the ancients knew about, but they were actually on a ship that was thousands of years old. Yeah, it would have been great if they'd encountered anyone yeah. or done anything. <laughs> well, they saw those ghosts. But, like, they didn't. They saw a planet of like ghosts at one point. I'm sure that happened. Yeah, but like, I'm sure I was out by then. Yeah. I'd given up. I was like, I can't watch another episode where they need to find the next thing that their ship needs in order to survive and the stuff happening on planet was dubious at best mm. and also just so slow and no. boring and i didn't care and i hate it when they put characters in that you're not supposed to like but they give you no backstory or reason for not liking them but you're supposed to care because they're just bad people yeah so i'm just i'm just like i, I can't I don't care enough about this guy t- for me to suddenly be like, oh, look, this guy's a villain, therefore I will enjoy watching this program. They do that with Battlestar Galactica and that absolute fool. I've not seen Battlestar Galactica. <sighs> the guy who's like with the blonde woman right at the beginning, not seen it. He's in the whole thing and Terence loves his character, but he doesn't have a character. His character is being an idiot. This is like Star Wars. <laughs> the whole time just being like, oh, maybe I'll do this. Oh, 
I broke it again. Just like, oh, why did they put Mr. Bean in this? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that's like that's like Star Wars for me because I had a big issue with um what was his name the 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 big bad in the first two of the new Star Wars films. Yes, spoilers. He gets yeah, yeah. spoilers for the number eight if you haven't seen it yet. But he gets <laughs> he gets killed in that one by Rian Johnson basically writes him out. Mm. But he was an interesting character and kind of conversely to what Snoke. you would have seen Snoke. How was it? He he was an interesting character because where's he been for the last hundred years? If he's this all powerful Sith esque master, then. Where's he been while the Emperor was in control and while Darth Vader was terrorizing worlds? Mm. We don't know, and we might not know that because Rian Johnson's killed him off. But J.J. Abrams could like double bluff him and bring him back as a Force ghost or something in the next one. Who knows? <laughs> just put him in that scene at the end. But that really just new ghosts appear constantly. Was J.J. Abrams doing the next? Yeah, one? he's doing them nine. What? But it, it really annoyed me because Rian so Johnson. Weird. Rian Johnson said like, "Oh, the best thing I did for those films was kill Snoke." But I was like, "No, he was interesting. People wanted to know his backstory, but he was Everyone convinced." Everyone hated him, but they want, they wanted to know his backstory. They wanted to know, but like they hated him because he didn't have one. So they were interested in having in him having one. Is that what it was? I don't. I, I kind of don't think Rian Johnson did himself any favors in that film, mm. and I didn't really like it. Do you think it's the sort of thing like in Back to the Future where he basically just wrote himself into a hole, and now the next person has to get it all back out again? Mm. Yeah, I did get that feeling at the end of it, where I was like, "Where are they going to go with that?" Like- I think I think I have enough faith in J.J. Abrams to save it. Anyway, Battlestar Galactica, Stargate Universe, um, Robert Carlyle, Full Monty, Euridium, Full Monty, that was it, got there. <laughs> That's how we got there, excellent, good work. What do you think it means? Um, <laughs> I don't know because I've just got the film in my head and I can't think of anything it's other like all than the of film the thing. right now. Yeah. So like, you know, if, if you go to a buffet, you'd be like, I want the Full Monty, it would be one of everything from that buffet, please. <laughs> oh, you get it with <laughs> like... Like a full English. Yeah, you get it with breakfast, right? Like, Full Monty's a, a full English breakfast. Yeah, slang for, like, full English. Well, yeah, where well, you get everything. All right, okay. Yeah. I've definitely heard it then, then. That's the probably the only instance I could tell other than the film that I've heard it. you never heard of any of the common ones, but you come out with all these mad ones like... <laughs> I've only heard it in the context of an English breakfast. <laughs> Do you know what it probably is? It's probably because I, I get a half of these from um, when I'm watching Parliament TV and parliamentarians use some really obscure idioms. God, I'm bored Parliament just TV? hearing that you watch it. Like. Oh my God. <laughs> You're not interested in the effective running of your country? No, no not in the slightest. Fair enough. So sorry, country. <laughs> just, How does you know, watching it make... Oh, no, no, no. I don't, I don't watch everything. Sometimes in some situations you just have to hope for the best. And certainly watching it isn't going to make it any better. <laughs> True. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, full Monty. Um, okay, fine. It means the everything, everything. It means everything, or a bit yeah. of everything. The OED has it as a very fancy, everything which is necessary, appropriate, or possible, the works. That's complicated. Yeah, that is overcomplicated. Yeah. The works, though. It does say the works. Huh. Quotes. Yeah. Have we ever done the works? No, we haven't. It doesn't give you the etymology of the works, either. No. Imagine that's just the working innards of a machine. Mm. The full Monty. Um, okay. Does it come from King Monty? Okay. Also known as Montezuma, the last king of the Aztec Empire. <laughs> Did he get naked at the end? He was the full... Um, <laughs> in, his, in his last death throes. The last ruler of the Aztec Empire. Empire. Oh, God. Um, he was the last ruler of the Aztec Empire. And it's... Something was the full Monty because he was that barbarous and that sort of militant in his war campaigns. He basically destroyed the Aztec Empire, but he was that's not so how he, murderous. That's not how he went down but at he all. was so he was murderous. But he was so murderous. 
He's overthrown by Cortez. That he got every single nearby tribe and city-state into a war with each other and him and ended up going ballistic on all of them, developing nuclear weapons and firing <laughs> on each of the city-states nearby, thus creating a nuclear wasteland around his land. This is just your civ strategy. Um, so yeah, the full Monty is going completely nuclear annihilation. It's going the full, the full King Montezuma. It's a good, it's a good one off the cuff. I'll give you that. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty satisfying to be honest. Um, I mean, there's no following that, is there? <laughs> uh, really? Um, I'll go full boring. Like, there's a guy called Montgomery in the 1700s who okay. was well known for going to feasts and eating everything on the table and then just passing out under the table. All right. Is it slang that was created by the Simpsons and we just don't realise these things that are created by the Simpsons because Monty Burns? That is a really strong contender just because that they could absolutely get away with something like that. Yeah, the full Monty. Like, they could now the, like, say, basically, that they created like, stuff. Yeah, it's they? just in the, in the lexicon. He's the richest, he's got a little bit of everything, he can release the hounds, he's Monty Burns, he's great. Yeah. He's the same character as King Montezuma. Yeah, <laughs> only without the nukes. Well, he's got the power plant. He mm. knows what he's hiding under there. Good point. Yeah. So yeah, Simpsons, or what did you say? Montgomery Banks. Montgomery Banks. Montgomery Banks. Wild, no good. Feaster. 1700s feaster. All right. Well, there's three competing ones. Ooh. So you, we can just decide now which is the the answer. I like it when we decide these things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's good. We've no one decided. No else is doing it, so it's good. Yeah. All right. So the most common one that's, in, that's thrown around at least around here because it's a British saying as far as we can tell and this one's about Field Marshal Bernard Law Montgomery the military leader of World War Two. Mm. yeah we've okay. all heard of Montgomery right yeah, yeah. World War Two. Um, he's popularly known as Monty apparently which starts to build the <laughs> we're building the story on it yeah. it's okay. good and then this has two sub theories one of which that the full Monty refers to all the medals all the medals on his chest, which were quite a lot of them because he was obviously like the leader of the army. Yeah. Or the fact that he insisted on starting each day with an elaborate breakfast. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> I like the idea that the origin of the idiom is the breakfast. We use it as an idiom, but also a breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's brilliant. It's good and it's just like, regardless of what was going on, he was always just like, this breakfast. Just like, sitting at the front very, lines. Yep. Eating so, his big breakfast. That's one of the things. The other that was a bit boring, I didn't look into much, is there's a card game called Monty. And it's a gambling-based game, and it was just jargon for, like, taking the entire pot. Or kitty, whichever one you want to call it. So to take the full Monty was like to take all the winnings at Monty the game. That's absolutely not as satisfying. No, it's not. Also, I feel like it would be better known in the public at one point for it to make. Okay. So maybe in Spain it was really well known. I think I've played that. I think I've played that on holiday and sat in a hotel by the pool. Definitely. You've played a lot of different card games, haven't you? That's what we did. Right. This is prior to the internet, effectively. Prior yeah. to smartphones, sit around the pool in, in Zanti and just play random card games. Yeah. Old Maid. I was always very good at Old How Maid. How do you know the, like, the rules, though? That was always what stumped me. I know it was just my dad. Like, I always remembered, like, Go just Fish, down. and then we'd get halfway through and be like, I think we've been playing this wrong, but I don't remember why. I've <laughs> forgotten them now. to play it badly. I've absolutely forgotten them now, but back then it was just whatever my dad it's told like There was always one family member who knew all the rules. Yeah, yeah. I thought my granddad was that guy, but it turns out he was just making them up as he went along. <laughs> always made the games more interesting. I still can't play Solitaire. I still don't know all the rules. Oh to really? Solitaire. Yeah. Are there more than more than two more rules, rules than you think? Well, like, things, I things thought you... there were more than I 
there's things you can't do in solitaire, which the which occasionally if I'm playing it on the computer when I'm really bored, um, it'll you'll try and do a move and it'll go no, nope, can't do that. More um, bored than watching parliamentary TV. <laughs> Maybe he's watching it at the same time. The democratic process in our country is a very interesting thing <laughs> to observe. Not. It is. Mm, I'd like. I'd rather watch the highlights on someone else's Facebook feed. I don't do it. I don't do it for the building a new hospital in Twickenham. I do it for the interesting debates and things. Yeah, but you, you've got to watch a lot of Twickenham hospitals before you get to the interesting debates, right? Well, they are published as a schedule, so you don't have to watch the ones that you don't want to watch. <laughs> you just have it on permanently forever. Just read the transcripts. The it's quicker. I do go through Hansard, but usually for the ones that I've missed. Oh, man. <laughs> that is so boring. <laughs> That's so dull. So are we deciding where the full Monty comes from? Yeah, there's another one yet. So Ooh, go on. Up, um... <laughs> yeah, sure. All right. This is that there was a well-known chain of tailoring shops owned by Montague Morris Burton, 1885-1952. Um, so it was Monty again. And apparently, as sort of um, theory goes, that um, buying one of the complete suits, the full three-piece suit, was um, known colloquially as the full Monty. I feel like I've heard that. Yeah. It, it, apparently one of the shops in Sheffield. So it said like, and then one of the examples it gives is like, if a regular guy was getting married, he would save up all his money and splurge to buy a full Monty for the wedding. Is that after, in time frames, the breakfast guy? No, before. Oh, that's interesting. Well, it depends when in his when in his era it was. I mean, <laughs> I really like the breakfast one, just because it's ridiculous. And I love the idea that it, it morphed and then morphed back again later on. So we used the full Monty as a breakfast thing just because it sounded like a good idea, but actually it originates from a full breakfast thing. I mm. love it. I feel like the Sheffield one makes more sense, though. Annoyingly, it does. And also, I like the idea that actually that shop probably had some guy called Monty who Apparently, came in occasionally. It was a really well-known chain of shops. Like the shops were definitely there, and it was a definitely a dude called Monty who sold suits. Mm-hmm. And it was a well-known. Yeah, suit I think it's probably that. To be honest, like it makes more sense. I feel like I've heard it in relation to clothes, but again, I could be thinking about the film. There's a lot of really <laughs> just nasty. taking those clothes off again. <laughs> and also, that film is set in Sheffield. It is set in Sheffield. Mm. I wonder if that's. Part of the reason they call it that. Yeah. That's interesting. I remember two yeah. things about that film. that has got Robert Carlyle in it and that it's set in Sheffield. I can't remember the plot at all. I d- the only bit I remember is where they're watching a pawn and they're all just criticising her welding. In the, <laughs> in the <pawn>. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the breakfast one and I think I'm going to stake my claim in the breakfast one. Yeah. I'm going to Sheffield. All right. Yeah. Sam? There probably is more backing for the, for the suit one just because there was more references to it and like... Plus... Uh, well, if this changes it, apparently, like looking into it, someone said the first the phrase was first identified in print by the OED in the nineteen eighties. Hmm. But anecdotal ex- evidence exists for earlier usage. But then I looked into what what that was, and it's a book that I'm not going to buy about idioms. Ah, uh, okay. Oh, fair enough. But apparently, um, it was also used as a name for fish and chip shops in Manchester. What before the before before this first print reference? Yeah. So, I can see how that would have. Drifted over from Sheffield. Yeah, definitely. Like they've got suit shops and we've got fish and chip shops. Yep. Full Monty. I don't suppose there's like a fish called a Monty, is there? I don't think so. Oh. Yeah, I'll show him a vegetarian ignorance again. I don't mm. know. Yeah, there's yeah, a load of American alternatives. Just really not. There's, Amer- there's American alternatives. Yeah, ish. Like whole nine yards. Mm. Oh, we've done yeah. that before. Kits and Caboodle. That's one, apparently. Is that like an army one, isn't it? And whole hog. Is that American? Is Kit and Caboodle American? So. I've definitely heard kit and caboodle. Sounds very American to me. I've heard people say it, but I've, I definitely would have thought it was American. The whole kit and caboodle. Yeah. 
It's not the whole. I think it's just kit and caboodle. But it's. Uh, I suppose it could be an American import, American media, TV. Yeah. Maybe. Huh. Mm. The whole shebang. The whole shebang. Is that British? British. Not sure. I don't look into it. I think no. that's one of the idioms I actually remember using on a daily basis. Maybe not a whole daily what, basis for that. One. What is a shebang? I don't, I don't know it outside. Find out next outside week on Twenty Four Old Road. Well, yeah, tech, tech circles is where I'm thinking of it. It's the it's um hash destination mm. mark, isn't it? A shebang. A shebang. It's an actual thing. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, in, <laughs> that's a great. That's in Linux fantastic world, news. I reckon it is a thing as well because it's referenced in some of these. You come across it said like the fact that the whole shebang is also saying apparently props up the suit theory, and I don't know why. Mm. So I don't know if shebang is a suit term. A type of suit. Definitely just been inter- um, definitely just been imported from somewhere. I'd really mm. like to go and buy myself a shebang now. Do you know what a, uh, an interrobang is? No. Yes. It's the only episode of um, how, what was that show uh, where they always used to end with like how for now? And that oh, was how. It's called how to. Yeah, how, how to. to. That was it. It's the only episode I remember, and the only bit I remember is when they were talking about the interrobang, and I love it as a as a concept. It's an it's a question mark and an exclamation mark. Yeah, overlaid in, in oh, one. for those cool. times where you're shouting a question. The only thing I remember about how to is they did an episode where they talked about buses and why three come at once. Nice. And it really wasn't that interesting. It's just that they all <laughs> they all leave and then the first one gets caught in traffic and then the other ones get caught behind it. It's literally it. It's not that exciting. It's, but it's the only thing that stuck. I feel quite like, sad for the people of how to because I'm sure they demonstrated a lot of interesting things. To just me. the common sense explanation. Mm-hmm. I was reading about Blue Peter as well the other day and all the um, the various badges that Blue Peter gives out. Yeah. Because you get like... Um, you get the regular blue piece badge and then you get another badge if you do something different and write in again. But they did the green badges for a while as well. You can get a golden badge if you're a very special person. Mm-hmm. And there's very few people that got a golden badge. But the thing that um, jumped out at me was the fact that two people, two names on the list were J.K. Rowling and the Queen, just next to each other on the list. Just like, only those people. I feel like J.K. Rowling deserves a lesser badge than the Queen. <laughs> and I don't know why, because I'm not a royalist. <laughs> J.K. Like... Rowling's achieved more, though. No, oh, she definitely did. But I'm not a royalist. I don't know why I'm defending the Queen in this. I just feel like the just Queen... Feel like getting a, getting that a, poor Queen. She's always getting a rough ride. Yeah. <laughs> she really needs that gold badge. Getting a naff little gold badge at the same time <laughs> as J.K. Rowling's getting a gold I badge. I think it says more about your feelings towards J.K. Rowling than it does about your feelings towards the Queen. Mm-hmm. I don't like J.K. Rowling. Yeah, um, but it was go. quite funny because <laughs> the, the Blue Peter presenter that... Um, and he, he was actually interviewed this week. He was interviewed this week on James O'Brien's podcast, uh, Unfiltered, mm-hmm. well worth listening to. Don't know why I'm. I don't know why I'm don't saying James James that. Uh, he's an LBC presenter, but yeah. he's Northern presenter currently presenting in London. Quite good. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he was interviewing the Sex Blue Peter presenter, whose name I can't remember for the life of me, Alex something or other. And he said when he gave the badge to the Queen, he said, "And you can get into the Tower of London for free with that," <laughs> <laughs> which is brilliant. I think they do charge her though. So yeah. there's a I real nasty counterfeit market in Blue Peter badges. Really? Yeah, by eBay and stuff. Really why? weird. Why? Why? Well, surely the, all of the benefit of a Blue Peter badge is knowing that you earned it for some well, terrible little poet. to get into museums for free. Oh, does it actually let you into a load of museums yeah. for free? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. It's like an unwritten rule that you'll just get into museums for free if you've got a Blue Peter badge. <laughs> there wasn't there was an MP. You get into museums for free anyway now. So. I think it's a written rule. Is it written? Yeah. I think it's like an actual thing. Right. Well. I think it depends on the level, though. I'm not sure just a generic Blue Peter badge is enough. You can get into museums for free, though. I mean, he's right. Yeah, you are, you can just get into museums for free now. I don't, I don't know that there is any circumstance where you have to pay to get into a museum in this country, because as far as I'm aware, well, they're pretty not a public museum. Yeah. Or do, also, if there's um, a special exhibition. There's the Mustard Museum. Ah, I doubt that's free. <laughs> there is the Mustard Museum. Callback. 
Um, special exhibitions. Yeah, they're weird. Why can't you? I wonder why you can't get into special exhibitions for free. They Probably because they need to pay the person that they've hired it from. It's usually in that situation where it's like, say if it's an artist um, in an art gallery, mm. then and they've commissioned that piece of work, the, gal- the gallery in itself will actually pay the artist for the work. And most of the time, that's more money than an art gallery can afford. So they'll probably charge for it. That's acceptable. I'll let them. I'll give them a pass on yeah, that. Yeah, give that one a pass. I don't really like art galleries, though. I'm not a massive fan of art galleries. It depends on what you, kind of art you're into, really, doesn't it? I think. Not, mm, the problem is I'm not really into any. I think the one that stuck out to me the most, probably the Louvre. Just because there's so much of it. Yeah. And I think that's it. I mean, I've been to, like, Sam's the same. You've been to modern art galleries, and you're mm. just not really taken with it. I just go to them all the time. If I see one, I'll typically go to it. Yeah. Never really seen much that I found. No, I don't, I don't know. I think what it is is that I don't know what I'm looking at. Yeah. I think there's the, the, they don't tell enough story for me. Like, I need, I need someone to be, like, telling me why I'm interested in this and what what the context is. That's what's interesting to me. Mm. And you don't actually get a lot of that, especially in art galleries. You get, like, the two sentences next to the thing that says, this is the person, this is when it was made. And I'm like, who was she or he? Why Why did they paint that person? Why did this thing last more than that thing? Like, I don't know the difference between good art and bad, so tell yeah. me why. Thanks for joining us this week. Be sure to leave a review on iTunes or Star Wars on the Overcast app to get people talking about us behind our back. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Podcast. Feel free to email us, cast at zwide.io. I should check the emails. I'm not checked for ages. Relevant links from this episode are in the show notes and our individual social media accounts are at the bottom. Thanks for listening to Money for Old Rope, a podcast ostensibly by idioms. Oh, and if you did get in your feed a politics episode from the other podcast that's probably because one of the aggregators has the default feed assigned to it and we're trying to track down which one that is um the apple one should be fine in fact i know the apple one is fine but there's quite a few different aggregators out there like stitcher and spotify and google music so we need to double check that so i apologize in advance if you get uk politics podcast in there (laughs) just let us know which app you use that would actually be very beneficial thanks for listening (laughs) 